really real enough Other rappers is delirious Yeah, it's really that serious Better holler if you really feeling me I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy We gonna win in the end Yeah, we gonna live in abundance Ooh, I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy We gonna win in the end Yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna I gotta keep it a hundred We gotta stop all the stunting You know we coming from nothing Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing We gotta do something different We gotta change how we living We gotta do better for women We gotta do better for children We gotta listen to victims Whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian It doesn't matter your religion You gotta stand against the system Or else you just another villain How you just sitting there chilling Um, my name is Jamar Jabari, and we are back again for another episode of Jabari Vok Podcast, um, keeping it music, politics, and culture at all times. Um, and today, um, we have another special guest, Dr. Rodrigo Acuna, um, who is a Latin studies, uh, Latin politics studies expert, um, I'm going to read his bio real quick for everyone. And I apologize for my lag. It is my lag. <laughs> uh, Dr. Oh, Rodrigo Acuna is a teacher, writer, and expert on Latin American politics. He has a bachelor's of arts in politics and international Relations in Spanish and Latin American Studies from the University of New South Wales, Sydney, as well as a as a diploma as a diploma in education from the same institution. In 2013, he completed a PhD on Venezuelan foreign policy after having been awarded an Australian Post Graduate Award by the federal government. Uh, without further ado, everyone, Dr. Rodrigo, Rodrigo Acuna. <laughs> Thank you very much, Samal, for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on, my friend. Um, I wanted I wanted to definitely have you on um, to talk about what's going on in Latin America currently right now. Um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of discussion on it, which is why it's such a huge deal to, to continue this conversation. And um, again, I want to thank you so much for having the time to come back on. I mean, to come on. Um, you also have a podcast, by the way. Um, could, can you shout that out? Certainly. So I have a I host the podcast uh, with uh, Alborada, which is a, a UK based uh, online um uh, magazine slash uh, forum um it's it's a multimedia sort of outlet and it focuses on on latin america and they have uh two podcasts and one of them is called indestructible indestructible uh latin america with rodrigo acuña it's a monthly podcast so if people uh google that google my name uh indestructible podcast uh Al alboradas uh at Alborada, they'll be able to to find the podcast, and it's a podcast on on Latin American politics, a monthly podcast. I interview uh, experts on on the region. 
Thank you so much. Um, and definitely I'll have that in the link below for everyone to check out when it's up. And so I, I think it's very important from especially American perspective, uh, non-Latin um, the descent Americans, um, they don't really have a understanding unless they actually look and, and study what's going on. Um, a lot of people are still thinking that the Mexicans are the only people that come from Latin America and they try to hop the border all the time. That's literally the racist uh, rhetoric that I see uh, a, a lot. Um, but this is why we have these discussions on here and for people to see um, to 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 break those race the racial boundaries and that and that racist rhetoric that has been a uh, part of the culture of American history um, as seeing people outside of America as other instead of seeing them as individual um, sovereign nations and this is not the best country in the world all that hoopla but one thing that's very important that that shocked me um, Brazil has always been um, the I would say um, they're kind of similar in a way with our culture uh, politically, um, but then they're not at all. We all I know about the dictatorship and everything, uh, but just like seeing how they had a coup, like how we had a coup with just not being a real coup in a way. It's just right wingers just getting insane about that. Um, what freaked me out that made me expect something different and I don't have the intelligence that I want to know is just the reaction of how Biden um, actually was supportive of Lula um, and how Ocasio-Cortez was actually supportive of Lula as well too, um, where Ocasio-Cortez has also a history like the Democratic Party to be supportive of the fascist regimes that take over government and all this and stuff like that. Did, did that shock you? Know? No, it didn't. It did. It didn't shock me because um, the, historically there is a consensus between the Democrats and the Republicans regarding U.S. foreign policy towards Latin America. It's only when you have full right wing fascist uh, military regimes in power, like uh, Pinochet uh, in Chile during the Cold War, um, the Videla in Argentina. Uh, in the 1970s and into the early 80s, that's when things become really embarrassing for the Democrats. Um, and that's when some of them will speak out and say, you know, we should be supporting uh, human rights in Latin America or they are going a little bit too far. Um, there are exceptions. There are there have been politicians that have genuinely lobbied uh, in, in, in Congress to stop, for example, the sale of arms or, again, making statements uh, supporting various declarations uh, by Amnesty International, et cetera, et cetera. But as a, as a, as a broad whole, there is a mm. consensus between mm. these two political parties. Latin America is not a region which needs to really be studied uh, in, in an in-depth manner. It's not a region that you really want to have the New York Times or the mainstream media accurately uh, reporting on, because if you do, if, if that were the situation, I think a lot of people in the United States would be absolutely outraged in terms of what's right. happening in Latin America in, in their name and, and, and how their tax dollars are being used uh, quite inappropriately. So, right. yes, Brazil is a, is a very good example. Uh, you have a, a right wing 
you had a very right-wing administration that tried to hold on to power. It tried to carry out a, a soft coup like Trump did, basically steal the elections. And yeah. um, they, they sort of modeled themselves in a similar manner to, to Trump, which is, it's almost hilarious because Latin America, <laughs> if there's one thing that the military knows how to do in Latin America is to actually carry out a proper coup d'etat. And what right. Trump tried to do was, was not a proper coup d'etat. If it was a proper coup d'etat, he would still be in power now. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will be rounded up and would be in concentration camps right now. Right. Um, so so it's, it's almost uh, hilarious that the admiration that the elites in Latin America have for the United States has now uh, translated into sort of following the United States uh, alt-right uh, as well. Um, so that's it's, it, things are getting really bizarre. Yeah, I like how you how you point that out in such a way, because I feel like I wasn't able to articulate it to people that way, because it's literally what I was trying to explain. It is an embarrassment, and it's honestly showing just how weak U.S. hegemony is right now, because in the past, they probably would have had supported arms um, for, for, for this coup to happen. But, I mean, Bolsonaro um, as well... Even though that he was very, um, you know, there's a lot of horrible things I'm reading investigations of what he has done. And it's 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 just an eye opener to a lot of people as well, too, I think. Um, he also stayed with the BRICS nation, uh, with BRICS. I said BRICS nation. With BRICS. With people that don't understand BRICS, BRICS is like a comparable G7 um, between China um, Russia, um, South Africa, Brazil, um, and India, right? I believe it's correct. India as well, too. Yes, correct. correct. In India. Um, so he stayed there with them, even though that was against the right wing policy here in America. Um, and that's a benefit that now Lula can use. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, oh, was well, I was going to say, I mean, he, Bolsonaro had to, it, it once, once, one of the things about international trade agreements is that once mm -hmm. they are signed, they are very hard to get out of. It's not easy. It's not something that can ah, easily un untangle. So gotcha. historically, the majority of Latin American countries have actually uh, exported primary resources to the United States. And that's the relationship that U.S. multinationals absolutely love. They love it when they're getting all the fruits and the vegetables that they can, the best stuff from Central America. They love it mm -hmm. when they're getting the lithium from uh, Peru and Bolivia, the copper from Chile, uh, the rubber from Brazil. The list just goes on and on. Um, what they don't like is when South American, Latin American countries begin to A, trade with each other, or B, begin to trade with countries um, that, yes, there are things that are that are, that are questionable and should be questioned, um, but in terms of trade relations, it's actually beneficial for Latin American countries to have trade with China, with India, mm -hmm. and to ha just ha basically have a diversity of trade. And that really upsets the United States. I mean, if the, the you know the Washington establishment um, mm -hmm. and 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 the you know stock traders in New York, um, so that's something that. Uh, Bolsonaro, he would have loved to have, I think, uh, withdrawn Brazil from BRICS, but it's an agreement that was that was locked in, and it's a sort of a, a, a growing trend in many parts of the world that the very fact that China now can use its economic and and and, and diplomatic muscle 
The same thing with the Russians. It just provides an alternative. So it means it doesn't mean that Latin American countries don't want to trade with the United States. The majority right. is still quite happy to trade, but it's a, the, the 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 long critique that has been made by people uh, on the sort of you know progressive slash left slash radical side of politics is that those trade agreements are fundamentally uh, they are they are incredibly unfair. They're not fair to the to, to the people in Latin America, and certainly people in the United States themselves. The average person in the U.S. is not benefiting from it. It's benefiting the local elites in Latin America, and it's benefiting the stock traders at the you know New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason why I brought that up because I I see now that maybe because there hasn't been like really any really motion with them but i see now they're talking about it now with lula and there's just a lot that lula has to do um just for brazil alone before even just get into stock trades and then he has to worry about what is the u.s actual intentions as well too while he is in power um which honestly that's very stressful within itself um so how how so uh, so I, I what, what I'm getting to with Lula is that um, wh what do you think, for instance, um, he can get across? I know that he's very um, gifted with trying to balance different circumstances between countries and build relationships with these countries that are problematic, like imperialist, you, the United States of America. Um, but can he actually like like if I think what scares me is, is that if he does what he tried to do his last term with keeping the poverty rate lower and everything, would this trigger the United States? I think that's that's exactly what so I, I, we, it's confusing, but I, I'm literally yeah. just worried about Lula as president. Yeah, I think I know where you're where you, what you're trying to get at. I mean, right, Lula, Lula. Um, domestically did a lot of good things when he was in power. And the same thing with Dilma. Uh, this is this is a broad-based... It's called the Workers' Party of Brazil. And, and that was vice president up, at the time, right? Correct, correct. And then yeah. Dilma uh, Rousseff, and then she eventually became the president. Now... Right. Um, it, it, it's called the Workers' Party for a reason, and it's and the reason mm -hmm. is that that it is actually a broad working class political party, uh, for mm -hmm. all of its faults and and allegations, and there even were cases. Certainly, there were cases of corruption when they were in power, um, but the poverty rates came down. Uh, legislation to protect the Amazon was enacted uh, under Bolsonaro. The the Amazon was just opened up for yeah. logging industries. For, for for you know, it basically became the Wild West. You had footage of uh, images of uh, indigenous communities running from their uh, villages and the villages were being burnt down by loggers. I mean, right. just really atrocious horrific. Uh, things were horrific taking place. Um, so so Lula is definitely a force for good for uh, working class people in, in Brazil. The problem is that Lula, uh, yes, the United States is a, is a power, but it, it can't it, because Brazil is large enough that it can stand up to some extent to the United States, the problem then becomes what can Lula, how far can Lula push things within Brazil without triggering the military, without triggering. Right. That was my the, question. There we go. Yeah, the whole, the whole <laughs> onslaught from the business community. And in the past, right. he has found he has found that balance. But for, for people that that observe the region uh, or are trying to constantly observe the region in an in-depth manner like myself, 
we're we're we're, we're looking and and we're we're trying to 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 analyze. I mean, again, how far progressive policies can be pushed without uh, a triggering uh, a military coup. Now, I right. think the, the big problem is that if when that does occur, if we do get to a point where there is a coup in two key countries, because the other countries, yes, they they have their own, uh, they, they are important, but the, the big regional players in South America are Argentina and, and Brazil. And if a coup, a right-wing fascist coup takes place and there's a military regime in any of those countries, then it's going to have a domino effect. Then they're going to support the fascist right in in, in Colombia. They're going to support the fascist right in Chile. And that's when a lot of these other uh, center-left, progressive leftist governments are going to start falling down or are going to be in in serious danger. So it it remains to be seen, you know, how how far Lula will try and push things and how much he will be allowed to to get away with uh, domestically. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... And, and yeah, I guess that's 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 just honestly the best way we can take it for right now. And I really wish the best for the people of Brazil, and I wish the best for the working class of Brazil and Lula, um, because this is the this is literally a breath of fresh air after everything I've been hearing that been going on there, especially after COVID and this whole investigation with, with the genocidal Bolsonaro who's hiding right now in Florida. Uh, Florida is so horrible with just letting these people come in and stuff like that um but it's a haven for the latin american right unfortunately right yeah being there in florida and miami (laughs) oh my god yeah it's just i i see the video sometimes where like like they are literally just a huge republican like front like over there it's just it's just serious (laughs) and i've never seen it that way like (laughs) Because I'm up here up north, it's not really that. It's usually just white people, but <laughs> and there are a lot of former former um, military um, personnel, Latin American military personnel that are wanted in uh, numerous uh, Latin American countries for serious human rights violations, and they live in Florida. They live in Florida, um, and and they've been given sort of the the green light to stay there by you know either the FBI or. The U.S. State Department, et cetera, et cetera, because many of them uh, in the past were uh, working for military regimes that the United States supported. Wow, wow, that's interesting. And then speaking of regimes and coups and all this stuff, um, Peru. Um, we we last time I spoke uh, with with uh, Ortiz, um, great guy, um, and it was just very grim what we heard um, so far. Is there any updates uh, for for the people of Peru? Well, there's 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 been uh, you know the number of uh, deaths that have occurred have have increased. Yeah. So I think we're now up to about sixty uh, or just over sixty protesters that have been killed by state authorities. Repression still continues. Um, it's now over twenty plus days of a national strike. I mean, imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, when when a national strike uh, in in countries like the United States uh, and even here in Australia, where the union movement is still quite uh, weak, um, you know, the concept of a national strike is it it almost has to be explained. So what a national strike means is that the 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 key sort of federation of all the trade unions in the country say we're not going to work until this government uh, resigns or makes serious concessions on point a b c d so basically the whole country stops or the majority of the country stops now this has been happening peru for over 20 days 
uh, the countries at a standstill. You have uh, tourists that can't get out of places like Machu Picchu. To, uh, Peru oh, has wow. a massive tourism industry. That's right. And you have uh, you know people from all over the world that are, that are stuck in Machu Picchu and in other parts of Peru. Um, uh, airports have been taken over. Um, so the country is in, is, in, is in serious turmoil. So now I think it's becoming a sort of a showdown between the protest movement that would like for Peru to have a new constitution. They would like for the president that would, the left wing, the center left president that was uh, arrested, they would like to see him released. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. the government is, is, is not budging. So we will see whether the government decides to eventually uh, use the military uh, put them on the streets and increase the repression, and then we'll be talking maybe of, of hundreds of people being killed, um, or the government decides to to resign. So it's we're now at a at a, at a complete almost a showdown between people power and a, a, a U.S. backed stooge regime in Latin America, which has almost zero credibility within Peru and uh, throughout the region without other Latin American countries and the and and and. Uh, Boluarte, the, the 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 head of this uh, regime, she fundamentally doesn't care as long as the Biden administration backs her, and they gave her something like eight million dollars a couple of days after the coup uh, for yeah. coca eradication uh, program. You know they always create these fancy titles, um, but uh, as long as she's Marco getting support State. from Washington, yeah, yeah, you know, as long as they're getting support from Washington, they couldn't give two hoots about what the rest of the region thinks. Wow. Yeah. Um, so will you call this uh, the beginning of a revolution in a way? Well, well, it, that's this is the interesting thing. If you go into Peruvian history in the 1970s, there, there was a military leader who was uh, in many ways quite revolutionary. He saw himself on the progressive side of politics. He carried out mm-hmm. uh, a large land reform program. Uh, the majority of the military leaders in Latin America have been from the from the political right and even the ultra right, but there there have been some very small and but yet important exceptions, and um, uh, the military leader in, in in Peru in the 1970s uh, was uh, one of them, and that is a situation which is again being closely watched. So there there was. Uh, I think a lieutenant uh, or a colonel who made a who made a statement saying that he did not support the current regime in Peru, and I think that the Peruvian military intelligence and, and you know uh, the, all the sort of the U.S. Uh, uh, advisors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they would be they would be watching and screening. So we could wake up tomorrow or in a week's time and find out that. Uh, uh, a section of the Peruvian military has decided to stand up and ally themselves with the people. And yes, I mean, you know, things are really very, uh, they're quite turbulent at the moment and they, and they could swing either way. Uh, we could have the military come on, onto the streets and just start massacring people, or we could see a division within the armed forces. I think it's, 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 um, it's not something which I would say is highly likely, but I wouldn't uh, discard it again, given the history of of uh, progressive um, and nationalist leaders inside the Peruvian military. Yeah, and and I, again, I w- I I want to like voice that for people listening that Juan Castillo had the right to abolish that parliament. I call it parliament, but. What, what do they call it? Yeah, they had he had the right under the under that constitution because dictators have used that 
in the past. And he's not a dictator. He's he's a leftist. Um, and they their Congress has done everything in, the, in throughout his term to try to stop him from having so much powers. And they no, they, they like only do that. Yeah, it wasn't really about about him having powers. It's about, it was about him being able to carry out policies, enact policies which were going yeah. to fulfill the promises that he made. He promised that he was going to carry out deep structural reforms because Peru is a country that has so many minerals. It is such a vastly rich country, and yet you have uh, shocking levels of poverty, uh, which should be viewed as completely unacceptable. So that's what right. he tried to do, and that right-wing Congress consistently sabotaged his government to the point that he said, uh, okay, well, I'm going to abolish, temporarily abolish Congress, mm -hmm. uh, call for new elections, and uh, and then he was arrested within the same day, and, and then, you know, we, we had this soft coup, and now we're at where, where we are at. Right. And and my last question on Peru, um, considering the pink wave that has happened, um, for viewers that are listening, the pink wave I'm meaning as in a resurgence of a pink wave of leftist uh, uh, presidents being elected um, in Colombia, um, in Honduras, um, all over. There's, the left is winning. Um, a, a good a good friend of mine by the name of uh, Sekara uh, Libre, they said that Latin America has had their time with neoliberalism. And they are done with neoliberalism. So are we seeing this as an important win for neoliberalism with Peru? Um, could could this be like a priority secretly for the United States to try to get a foothold back into Latin America? The United States is going to diplomat diplomatically and economically support any government which is uh, or any uh, political figure which is going to restore the, the status quo. So if there is a coup tomorrow in, in, in Chile, I don't think there will be, but let's just say hypothetically there was, I would almost bet the House that the Biden administration would recognize that regime. Uh, again, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats in the US, they right. are more than happy to have relations, economic relations, political relations uh, with uh, military regimes or ultra right wing uh, regimes in Latin America. The most important thing is that those business deals are not restructured. The most important thing is that, that you don't have a government that comes into power and says, we're happy for your oil companies to keep working in uh, within our borders, but we are going to increase the taxes that they pay by. And, and we're not talking radical numbers here, 5%. I mean, that's enough for the US to to start looking for political players to try and carry out a coup so it oh, is wow. the what's happening in peru is a win for the political right in uh, latin america and it's certainly a win for the united states diplomatically the u.s may say yes we you know we welcome the lula victory in in brazil uh but at the same time uh, bolsonaro is walking around you know in the streets of, of, of miami um you know the contradictions with the democrats are just as you would i'm sure quite well know uh are enormous. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and uh, briefly, because I, I the Me Mexico, um, they had their three amigos, uh, which is, oh my god, I can't believe they called it that, but whatever. <laughs> they had their little three amigos conference, you know, and the Mexican president 
he gave out some good valish harshness, but I feel like he should have been a bit, little bit more harsher. But I get it. You can't just you can't go all the way in. I understand that. I gotta give him respect for that. Um, but there is uh, what he's talking about with the guns situation in Mexico, and and no one knows where those guns are coming from, and the, and the issue with the cartels and stuff like that. Like no one really understands what are the problems that Mexicans are dealing with in their country. It's always people in the United States just complaining about immigration. People in Europe just complaining about immigration, and they don't get exactly why is this why are people coming here you know like i speak to i speak to a lot of immigrants all the time because here in new haven we're very you know diverse and i have a lot of friends that are immigrants that i can call friends so thankfully um and they they don't a lot of them talk about um who are on the left talk about um i would like to go back and and in this notion that people think that they wanted to stay here because this is the greatest country in the world no and so, like, this is why we have to talk about what's going on in Mexico um, and understand more on this issue instead of just all oh, they just keep coming here. Like, the right is just keep bringing that up, pushing it. Like, we don't need funding for Ukraine. We need funding for the borders. For what? What do you need to fund? To shoot them? Like, I don't understand that. Yeah. What they need, fun what they want funding for is the U.S. industrial military complex. That's what they always want funding for. And they will systematically right. lie to the public in the United States so they can get that funding so then their stockholders can make more money. Um, in the case of Mexico, for example, uh, in Mexico, it actually the country actually has very strict gun laws. Mexico doesn't have uh, mm -hmm. a, a weapons industry per se or that's large enough to be able to sell um, handguns and, and submachine guns and automatic and semi-automatic uh, weapons to the Mexican population. The weapons come from the United States. That's well known. That's There's plenty of evidence of that. Mm. The weapons are smuggled into Mexico from the United States. Uh, and because of mm. the explosion of, of, of the drug trade and the, and the, and the cartels, um, then comes, of course, the, the violence. Um, so any talk about, uh, you know, the violence in Mexico and the cartels, if, if, if a government in the United States were serious about that, they would do two things, in my opinion. Number one, they'd actually have some serious gun control laws. Um, you know, you don't need a, a weapon that's for warfare to go hunting. That's ridiculous. You know, you guys are like on planet Mars on that issue. Like the majority of the developed world is actually quite sensible. You know, you can't have the vast majority of the population having access to those kinds of weapons. You know, one day you're fine. The next day you have an emotional crisis and you decide to, you know, shoot up whoever, whatever, you know, and, and, and that's a problem. You can't have that. Um, now, the, the other thing is the trade agreements. Uh, sorry, to get back to the issue of, of um, within the U.S. and, and Mexico, um, the, there uh, the U.S. should invest mm -hmm. in uh, reform programs for, for drug addicts. So you reduce the amount of people within the U.S. that are consuming drugs and the people and the, the whole trade within Mexico and Latin America will decrease because... The biggest purchases of the of of, of cocaine, marijuana, hash, etc., etc., is the United States. So, tackle those issues, and you will see huge changes. Now, in terms of migration, this complaint about they're coming through our borders, they're taking our jobs, etc., etc. Well, when the NAFTA uh, free trade agreement was enacted in 1994, the U.S. talked about you know the the 
the propaganda uh, apparatus that was put in place talked about this was a trade agreement that was going to benefit Mexico, it was going to benefit the United States, and it was going to ben benefit Canada. Rubbish, absolute rubbish. Who it benefited, again, were the uh, the stock traders, were the large, you know, the business community, the large business community. Uh, they dismantled the car industry within the United States. They shipped it over to Mexico. They, they, they rebuilt it in Mexico. But in Mexico, because that country had a long tradition of trade unions, they started hiring females. So you have a large female uh, workforce uh, that works in Mexico um, that is non-unionized. Um, they are system almost systematically abused. Oh, wow. They build 70% of the vehicles oh, in, no. in Mexico, whatever. Oh, no. Then they move them over to the US. They put the last chips in and then the, that's trade. That's not trade. That's just a dodgy way to say that you are trading between the two, the two no. countries. You're just assembling a car in two different parts of the world and they're, they're literally right next to each other. You know, uh, you have a situation as well, just to give you one more example, where the Mexican, uh, the countryside was, was flooded by cheap US corn, by excess uh, stock of corn. So it destroyed the local corn industry in Mexico. So Mexico now has to import corn from the United States. Uh, does that benefit the average farmer in the wow. US? Well, probably not. It probably benefits, again, big agribusiness inside uh, the United States. So this, this, the, all these, these free trade uh, agreements uh, should generally be viewed as who do they fundamentally benefit? Do they benefit the average working class person in the United States? Uh, do they benefit the average peasant and working class person in Mexico or in Canada? And almost every single time you will come up with a very firm and definitive no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. That like you you we 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 don't really have the time to talk about trade and how it goes really, um. But that is literally a discussion that could go on for hours and hours, people, and you would be just so shocked, um, about it and 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 how much they try to just put other countries like China into the mix of it just to get you to like not realize what's really going on. There's a lot. Um, you 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 literally just gave like a a, a a hint of how it's so bad with this shit in Mexico. <laughs> but I don't want to take up more of your time. So lastly, um, you're in you're you're you're, you're located in Sydney, Australia. Correct. Um, Correct. And in Australia, they just had a uh what they call Australia Day, um, but Indigenous people call it uh, Invasion Day, um. Can you just give like a, a, a brief history on, on, on why there's a difference between the two um, for Americans here? <laughs> certainly, certainly. So, and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll make my comments, but I, I generally don't like to talk about uh, areas outside of my area of expertise. But I, yes, I, I have been mm -hmm. living here for a very long time. So I do know what the, what the arguments are and, 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 and the context. So um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Australia Day is, is, is technically the day that the uh, British uh, first arrived uh, to, to, to survey uh, this country. They were on their way, I think, to, to you know, it was, it was a sort of a pit stop that they, that they did. I mean, going back 200 and so years ago, you know, we didn't have, you know, GPS. They couldn't say, oh, we're going to get from point A to point B, and they knew exactly where they were going. Um, but mm -hmm. that uh, date, um, uh, January 26, marked the then what became the invasion uh, of 
Australia by the British Empire. Um, you know, if, if, if you if you read some of the um, Australian historians, they will get into the well. It, no, it wasn't that exact date, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and they're probably right. However, that date has become the date that the Australian establishment has viewed as the day that should be viewed as as the day that the nation was created. Um, the British, mm -hmm. when they arrived, they, they declared this place terra nullius, which is a Latin term that means uh, an empty land or that's, it's a land that no one inhabits. And of course, you had the uh, oh. indigenous peoples, uh, exactly, uh, you know, in this country that had been here for 40, maybe even 60,000 years. So there has been a cultural push and a political push by uh, the progressives uh, within Australian politics to change the the date that that date is a date that is uh, really uh, a date which was uh, you know it's associated with British uh, imperialism and yes now they're trying to you know they've said it's it's the the foundation of of the country but the country is actually much longer so why would it be too difficult uh, to change the date um, and and pick another mm -hmm. date and, and then say, well, let's let's recognize that this country is not just uh, now a country that uh, has uh, British, uh, Scottish, Irish uh, heritage. Uh, it's a country that has indigenous heritage. It has, uh, you know, people from all over the world. You come to cities like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, you'll find people from all over the world. There's a long history of Chinese migration in this country, which many people aren't aware oh, wow. of. Um, so yeah. that that's something that it, it needs to become uh, viewed as, as, as a melting pot. Now, Australia, just to give you a sort of a context to the United States, I mean, there was a, an article uh, of many years ago said it, it called Australia the, the time, the land that time forgot. And it sort of is because um, it's, it, it has been changing. But if you view the um, sort of mainstream uh, television, uh, you're still going to be viewing the majority of the host uh, of Anglo uh, Celtic, uh, Anglo Saxon uh, heritage. Uh, basically, it's like viewing. Uh, you know, US television in the 1970s and 60s and 50s, and it's just all white faces. You know, it's, it's just all white guys and white girls that you're seeing on TV. And you, then you walk on the streets of Los Angeles, New York, et cetera, et cetera, wow. and it's totally different. You know, so so Australia, yeah. uh, um, some people will, will, will have the opinion of race. I don't know if you could touch the most race, but it's certainly it's a country that has. Uh, an issue with race and that uh, white sort of hegemony has been propped up by the, the traditional establishment, which um, is uh, an integral part of that establishment is the Murdoch media. The, the you know, Rupert mm -hmm. Murdoch began, he is Australian and he commenced his empire here in Australia. And uh, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's an extremely um, conservative or to the far right uh, or to the right uh, media uh, establishment. And so, so, so for them to make that concession and say, well, actually, let's let's have, at least have a discussion, put it up for a, a referendum. You know, should we change the date or not? They're not even going to enter into that discussion because they see it as 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 offensive. You know, the 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 wow. Australian uh, establishment, the the elite, the business community, uh, you know, that have that uh, uh, those links, England, uh, and then now, you know, because of the 
structure of the world to the United States. Uh, and so in summary, they would very much like to keep it a, a white world, uh, so to speak. And part of that world is not conceding that uh, there was eventually uh, an invasion. Uh, there was a conquest in this country, like in other parts of the world, and that, uh, you know, horrific massacres took place and uh, numerous uh, peoples and cultures were, were completely destroyed. And, and that's very uncomfortable for, for certain Australians to, to admit that and have a sensible discussion about that. Wow. And this, this just goes to understand a lot of my closing point, people listening, that there is a lot of history and the history is like what people say, his story, the victor's story. Um, and we're living right now in a time where a lot of that is being uncovered. Um, and we just need to keep standing in solidarity with indigenous people in Latin America, with indigenous people in, in Australia, here, um, all over, um, and, and continue to, to, to show their culture and acknowledge their culture, respect their culture, um, to get to put an end to this colonialization that is so rapid in this world. Um, and if we can do that, we can definitely have liberation, honestly. <laughs> um, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Rodrigo, for coming on. Um, this was a pleasure, and we'd love to have you on another time. Um, thank you so much for taking your time to be on this show. Thank you very much, Jamal, and keep up the good work. Thank you. An indigenous, gotta holler if you really feeling this. Gotta holler if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holler if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna live in abundance. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we live in. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish, or Muslim, or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system, or else you're just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling? Hey everyone, if you like the content that you're hearing. Uh, please support the show. Uh, we have subscriptions up right now for a monthly dollar a month or up to whatever donation you feel uh, comfortable with. And also, you can hit my link bar, which is in uh, the description of the show, uh, to send me donations for Venmo and Cash App. And all this goes into bringing in better quality and also better content. So thank you. Have a good